Hey, everybody, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. This show is about commercial art, making a good living, and making great art. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. Our syndicate is Illustration Age. You can find this show at illustrationage.com slash creative pep talk. Let's jump in. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Astropad. Astropad is an app that turns your iPad into a professional graphics tablet for your Mac. It works with any Mac app, so you can use creative tools like Photoshop and Illustrator right on your iPad. Check out astropad.com to learn more. All right. Oh my gosh. I am so freaking thrilled to be back. I took three weeks off of the creative pep talk and it just feels like uh, a big part of me has just been missing. I've missed you guys so much. I've missed downloading my thoughts on being a commercial artist and uh, I'm ready to get back at it. So this episode is part of a three-part series. It's part three Uh, I took my creative mornings talk from Louisville that I did a few months ago and I took each point and I expanded it into a full episode because I had so much more to say about each point. I only got to kind of briefly talk about it in the talk and I wanted to talk more actionable steps about what I was actually um, trying to say. And so this is the third part. we had the the first part, which was about finding your creative gold. Uh, we had the second part, which was about becoming a creative master. And this is the third part, which is about, it's essentially about selling. It's about shining. It's about proving your creative worth to the world. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, before we jump in, uh, I just want to be candid with you for a minute because I, uh, you know, I keep it positive on creative pep talk because I'm trying to encourage you and there's tons to be positive about. My life has so many awesome things and I've grown so much and I have so much to be grateful for, but I want to be honest with you about how hectic things have kind of become. I'm trying to keep up the podcast and keep up with all the different opportunities surrounding it. And it's actually become my number one passion. I feel like I'm uh, kind of transitioning from being the Luke Skywalker uh, kind of vibe in my own life, you know, trying to be a creative hero in my own journey to transitioning now um, to being a little bit more of a uh, Obi-Wan for you, where you guys are the creative heroes. You know, I've been doing this for, um, t- you know, eight years or so, and I've made some real headway, and now I get more passion. Uh, I get more pleasure from helping other people break through um, than I do just focusing on my own stuff all the time. Um, but the problem is that... Although I'd like to be doing a little bit less illustration work and focus more on helping you and and pouring into the podcast, you know, it's just been tough. These three weeks off, you know, they weren't weeks off. They were full of doing all sorts of other work, catching up on things, and I'm getting behind on things, and I'm, you know, I've got just tons of stuff going on. And, you know, today, to make this episode happen, I had to get up at 4 a.m. And so, you know, it's not a sob story. It's not a uh, plea to get rich quick. It's just saying that if you would miss creative pep talk if it were gone, if that's you, if you're one of those people who rely on this as a dose of strategy and encouragement, I'm asking you to go to my Patreon, patreon.com slash creative pep talk, and donate two bucks an episode if you're one of the, if you're just a casual guest to the show just enjoy it it's just a uh, it's a free thing and uh, you know if you can't afford it I get it I know making a living as a creative is tough so if you can't afford it I totally understand but if you could afford to give just two bucks an episode I would so appreciate it I'm earning um, nearly two 
uh, 200 bucks right now an episode on Patreon. I'd like to push to get that to about 500. Um, and I can be a little bit choosier about the stuff that I take on, uh, pay a few of my bills with that thing. So I don't have to, um, take on as much illustration and I can focus more on this because, you know, I'm putting a little bit of strain on my family, putting strain on my workload. Um, it's kind of not sustainable to be getting up at 4 a.m. to make these things happen. And, you know, I'm working on, I've got some sponsors lined up. That's going to help too. But, uh, you know, I like the idea of being listener supported like an NPR show um, and, and having those, uh, that kind of relationship with you. Uh, so if you'd consider it, I'd really appreciate it. Go check it out, patreon.com slash creative pep talk. If you donate $2 an episode, I've lowered the reward so that um, it's not as expensive to get some of the peppy talks, which are like shorter episodes that I do from time to time. They're more candid, off the cuff. Uh, go check that out. Really, really appreciate that. Thank you so much. So we got our first Factor Meals, and I am pumped to tell you about them. First off, we absolutely loved them. Delicious chef's kiss for the chef-crafted, dietitian-approved meals that come straight to your door. I can definitely see how when deadlines are out of control or you're in a super busy season, how Factor Meals can lighten your load while still giving you options like veggie, vegan, and even low-calorie Get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can even pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Head to factormeals.com slash peptalk50 and use code peptalk50 to get 50% off. That's code peptalk50 at factormeals.com slash peptalk50 to get 50% off. So there's this famous story about Andy Warhol catching Basquiat being a creative genius, you know, as a homeless person uh, on the side of the road painting. And this is just one of those ideas. It's kind of one of those Cinderella fairy godmother overnight success things that we pass around and we love stories like this, of course, because they're so dramatic. But I think that they actually give us this false narrative, this thing that says, just quietly go about your business as an artist. And if you're genius, your genius will be found out. It will be uh, caught. But this episode is about turning yourself in. If there was a court, if there was a law that all creative geniuses had to be convicted as creative geniuses and had to be proved as creative geniuses, this episode would be about how to turn yourself in. Don't wait for your Andy Warhol moment, but go ahead and turn yourself in because you know, in the court of law in the USA, you are innocent until proven guilty. But when it comes to being a creative genius, you are incompetent until proven genius. You've probably heard once you're lucky, twice you're good. Like if you do something, you know, if you, if you make something that uh, is truly genius one time, then you're lucky. If you do it twice, you're good. But I would say in the world of creativity, it's more like once you're lucky, twice you're lucky, three times, eh, four times, all right, maybe. <laughs> you really have to stack the deck in your favor and make a case for yourself. You can't wait for someone to come along and, and see that, that potential, that hidden potential, you really have to believe it yourself. You have to understand your value. And then you have to prove yourself time and time and time again. 
And if you do that, I really do believe you can take your creative career into your own hands and make amazing things happen, even without any major viral lottery breakthroughs. And Seth Godin calls this picking yourself. Don't wait for someone else to come along and choose you for the team. Pick yourself, believe in yourself, improve yourself. And that's what this episode is about. So don't wait to be caught being a creative genius. Go ahead and turn yourself in. So today, we're going to use that analogy, we're going to push it forward, we're going to take all the components necessary to prove that you are guilty, you are guilty, that you're a creative genius, you're no longer incompetent. So let's get moving. So first things first, you actually have to commit the crime. You actually have to make an act of creative genius. Now, I'm a creative. I am the creative pep talk guy. I love to talk, obviously. We love to talk as creative people. We love to sit back, critique, whine, talk about why this person doesn't deserve that opportunity, why I could do so much better if only I was given the chance. But you actually have to walk the walk. You have to prove it. You have to commit the act of creative genius. You have to prove it. Show it. Show what you can do. I think a really great example of this is Matt Damon and Ben Affleck with their movie Goodwill Hunting. Here's a movie where they wrote their own roles, their own leading men roles in a film, and they showed the potential and the power they had. And actually, in that moment, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck kept getting passed over for lead roles by, uh, you know, Ed Norton would get the role. They kept going out for these big Hollywood movies and they kept getting passed over because they hadn't proved themselves, because they hadn't shown that they had what it takes. And instead of waiting for that perfect audition, for that kismet, for that moment where they got the chance to prove themselves, you know, they could they could sit around and wait for that moment and maybe they would end up having to take a movie that wasn't fantastic just to get the role, just to get in the door. But instead what they did was they took matters into their own hands and they prove themselves by writing a perfect script for their abilities and they they got that movie made and the rest is history right now i think there's actually another creative lesson here that is important to note uh and i heard matt damon talking about this on sam jones podcast i think it's called off camera and uh it's so fascinating, and this is what I, th- I think it's really important at this stage when you go to prove yourself, when you pick yourself and you make your own project that, you, that you're strategic about it. Because the thing about proving yourself, the whole point is to paint the picture in the people who will hire you, to paint the picture in their minds because they are the non-creatives. They're the people that don't have the ability to fill in the gaps. This is why I always tell people to finish their projects before they go pitch them. And worst case scenario, self-publish them. And here's why, because when you hand over half-finished work to non-creatives, they can't fill in the gaps in their minds. In their minds, they're looking at something that has the potential of something half created. And so going back to the Goodwill hunting thing, here's what ended up happening with them. We watched this movie and you would think, actually Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, they thought that Ben was getting the better role of the townie, you know, it's really like a character actor role where he's really proven his acting chops. He has some big monologues. It's really uh, a fantastic performance. And they thought that was really the, the true actor's role that they were giving him. What they didn't realize was that 
the way that the non-creatives or the people that don't that don't look past the veneer would view this movie and view them as actors because they went on to live out these stories in the public's mind as Matt Damon who plays the genius is the genius Ben Affleck who's the towny uh, pretty boy goes on to play those roles and so you really have to be strategic when you go to make these projects, when you go to make the work that's trying to prove your creative genius, and you have to think about, how do I want to be perceived? If I want to be the leading man who's a smart person, who gets the best roles, then you want to write a role like Matt Damon's. Now, Ben Affleck ends up having to go write more movies later in his career and make these big directing moments and win Oscars to, to, to kind of uh, paint himself out of that corner that that movie pigeonholed him with. And so here's my challenge to you. If you're an editorial illustrator, what is the value of your illustrations? What do your illustrations do for the magazine or the newspaper that you're trying to work for? Now, ultimately, what they're trying to do is sell newspapers, sell magazines. And so I would go that far. I would go that far, even if it's just an indie thing and don't do a mock-up, do, do it yourself. Really put in the time and energy to prove yourself. Don't make a fake movie, write a real script, get it made. Make a magazine. Show that your cover illustrations can sell magazines, even on a small scale. You'd be blown away by what just a little bit of momentum will do in terms of breaking in and proving your value. If you're a logo designer, start a company. Start a silly little company that you can brand and make look like a big dog and gain some traction on the outside. Now, I think a great example of this is Aaron Draplin's Field Notes, Pocket Notebooks brands. Now, I'm not saying that's a silly little brand, but I am saying that it's a simple product. It was a great idea, but it was a simple product, you know, essentially uh, a stack of paper folded over with some card on the outside. But uh, Draplin brought his fantastic uh, uh, branding skills to the table and made it look like a world-class brand and that's the uh, that's the value of a designer a designer can come alongside some rinky-dink small business and make it look like it's competing with the big dogs and that's incredible value so if you want to prove yourself in that way start a little company that looks crazy legit even if you're not selling you know crazy amounts of stuff that's really beside the point so let's say that you are a kids book author illustrator. One of the ways that I've seen people really prove themselves is, you know, there's these people that create these books and they pitch them to all the publishers and for whatever reason it's outside of, you know, first of all, no one wants to take a risk on the first person. You know, the whole idea of business is that you're planning and planning is based on patterns um, because patterns make it uh, low risk, which all makes sense. That's good uh, business. But what ends up happening is that they don't want to take a risk on something new. So a lot of times you'll see uh, publishers not want to publish something that looks too different from the successes that they've already had. And so one of the ways I've seen people getting around this for their first books to prove themselves is to make something really spectacular and then take it to Kickstarter and um, you know rally around just the value uh, of this book and the merit of the book and get some traction there and get a, a batch printed. And even if that doesn't get the attention of the publishers, now you've got a printed book, you've got some numbers behind yourself, and you can go ahead and send these books to publishers. And maybe that doesn't end up making that book distributed widely, but it gets your foot in the door uh, to, to do your first published gig. Maybe you're a musician who wants to do soundtracks Maybe you need to partner with a short filmmaker and do the soundtrack for free. And I don't mean uh, for exposure. I mean you guys work together and make something as a collaboration, as a side project. 
for me personally, the Creative Pep Talk podcast is an example of me trying to prove myself. First of all, I wanted to prove that uh, I could do speaking gigs because I wanted to do more of that. The, the experiences I'd had doing it were really great. Like I felt like this is something that I really, really want to do. I feel passionate about it. I feel like it's in my skill set. It's kind of where I'd like to take my career, but I wasn't getting a ton of those opportunities. And I thought, well, I'll just put hundreds of speaking uh, I'll just put t tons of speaking out there and I'm sure that the jobs will start coming in and they did. Now on the flip side, I'd also kind of wanted to up my strategy game in terms of like strategic content marketing, not to get too weird marketing on you, but uh, you know, I wanted to do this project as a marketing opportunity for my illustration and create content that helped me stand out in the field. And actually that's turned into my ability to go work with other companies and help them create the type of content that will get them where they wanna go. And so it's kind of been a two-fold thing and it's worked really, really well. All right, so you've committed the crime. You've, you've made the act of genius. You've got your proof. It's a side project. It's a thing that proves your value as a creative person. Now the next thing you need is you need to start gathering metrics. You need to start proving yourself in numbers. Now I get it. I get it. I know. You're a creative person. You don't like being valued by numbers, by the amount of sales, by the amount of listens, whatever. Look, I get it. I totally relate to that. But there's almost nothing as powerful as numbers proving your worth in the business world. And I'm not talking about going viral. This is the thing that I think really screws us up in terms of marketing. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. When we talk about marketing, I think about it like earning a paycheck, okay? Earning a paycheck is something you can do with consistent work, with getting up morning after morning and just adding a few more dollars to the bank account. For whatever reason, we look at marketing like winning the lottery. Either you go viral or it's a failure. And it's just not true. It's just totally not true. And I want to just give you an example of what I mean by that. So Mike Birbiglia is a comedian. I'm a big fan. Uh, have been for quite some time. He's a stand-up comedian. And he is a great example of someone who has really put in the time to earn that creative paycheck. And I'm so excited to see where his next moves go because he just created a movie called Don't Think Twice. And he has, I think, a 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. That metric will open more doors than anything else. You don't have to like it, but it is what it is. And I think if you're willing to work for it, to work to prove yourself in numbers, that nothing will affect your career like that. Now, it doesn't have to be 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. It just has to be something. And the further you push it, the further you go. But here's my example with Mike Birbiglia. Here's someone who has spent the past, what, 10 or 15 years building this career step by step, paycheck after paycheck. In his early days, he did open mics. And then he started having little stand-up gigs and he would actually have a team of people on the street trying to sell these tickets, trying to move and, and fill out the comedy stores because those comedy shops, if they have a full house, they're gonna put you on again. And so that, that's not on the back of the value of his art. That's not just because he's great at comedy. He actually went in, put the effort not just the effort to be great, because he clearly has done that in every step of the way. He's upped his game, he's got better, he's de dedicated himself to the craft, but he put the time and effort into the numbers each step of the way. And he slowly, so slowly spiraled 
upward. And from the outside, from the mainstream, when this movie uh, starts to open up in major release because of its great ratings, because of the critical reviews, it will look like an overnight success. But in fact, he's been doing this for 10 or 15 years, starting in the small uh, uh, stand-up gigs and then working himself up into getting on This American Life and then producing a small indie film and then slowly, slowly, slowly getting to this point where he's putting out a major motion picture with fantastic reviews. Now, we like the idea of someone like Seth Rogen, who as a teenager gets picked up on a TV spot uh, like Freaks and Geeks and then Judd Apatow comes alongside him and helps him write movies and then everything success, major viral explosion. But you can't count on that. You can't make a plan around winning the lottery. But so much of us creative people, that's what we view. We either have to go viral or we're failing. But creativity works like anything else. I really believe that commercial art works like anything else. You put in the time, the energy, develop the craft, you know, lean towards your natural strengths and talents. But as you dedicate yourself to that year after year, day after day, month after month, you will start building that savings account. I'm not talking about 100,000 followers on Instagram. I'm talking about 2,000. I am talking about building those metrics wherever you can and it doesn't really matter where it is. But if you can get good numbers that are legitimate, I'm not talking about buying you know, fake followers on Instagram. I'm talking about putting in the time and the sweat equity to build up whatever metric that you can to, to act as your evidence. This is your evidence for your creative genius because you need it to be convicted in a court of law of commercial art. So don't forget this episode is sponsored by Astropad. Okay, so why is Astropad sponsoring the podcast. I connected with them because I had a bunch of people telling me I needed to try the iPad Pro and the new Apple Pencil. And although it's fun to play with, I couldn't see myself doing professional work with it with the apps that were available until I found the AstroPad. AstroPad essentially works as a graphics tablet that you can draw on, you connect it to your Mac and you can see Photoshop on the iPad and you can draw straight on there with Photoshop brushes uh, and you can work with Illustrator and it's the first uh, evidence that I've seen that you can use an iPad Pro for professional work in all kinds of capacity uh, as an illustrator or designer. I'm loving it. I actually love the quality of the drawing. It, it mimics um, real drawing really well. Uh, I've done a few pieces already with it, and it's made it so that I can go work on the road way easier, which is great. Um, so thanks, Astropad. Thanks for backing the podcast. Um, go check it out. I really encourage you to. It might just... Uh, free you from being chained to your desk at home and and be able to work anywhere. Uh, It's really fantastic. Go check in the show notes at creativepepdoc.com and you will see a link to AstroPad. Use that link and support Creative Pep Talk. Thanks. All right, so if number two is evidence and metrics. That's your qualitative evidence that you are, in fact, a creative genius. Now, another way of proving yourself that actually might even be uh, something that you can do before you have the metrics is go with your witnesses, your key witnesses. This is your qualitative Uh, evidence. These are your relationships. These are the people in the field that are vouching for you. And so in my opinion, the smartest thing to do is if you feel like you've got something good going on, you're a part of a niche, you're part of a particular 
uh, wave of taste, it, one of the most effective things you can do is connect with your peers because I think creative people, the people that are doing the same kinds of things that you're doing, they have so much, uh, they have a better barometer for what's good. Um, being creative people themselves and kind of understanding the craft. You know, a lot of the people out there that are hiring the types of people um, that you want to be, the type for the types of jobs that you want to get, those people aren't always able to measure things on what's so-called good. Whereas the people in your field working alongside you, the people that are passionate about the same things you are, the people that have good taste, those people can often see your potential before the numbers are there, before anybody else is around to prove it. And I think if you go back to Mike Birbiglia, before he had the opportunity to make movies and get those kind of budgets, he had someone like Ira Glass from This American Life notice that he was brilliant, knew that he could tell stories, knew that there was something more artistic about his stand-up comedy than the other guys, and that's he brought him on to the radio show, This American Life, and that gave him a leg up. And so one of the things that I am imploring you to do is to build relationships, real relationships. You know, this idea of personal brand, I've told you before that I'm, I'm building an episode on it because I know that people reject it because it seems gross and it's been abused. But the fact of the matter is personal brand is the difference between the successful and the ultra successful. And that means it's worth thinking about, worth talking about. And so I've been racking my brain What's the deal with personal brand? What is it all about? Here's what I think it's about. I think it's, it's a development that has come alongside the internet to help us know each other because nothing's really changed. We still wanna work with people that we feel like we know. And so you have to build relationships. I know that the the internet promised that you didn't have to, to know people, that you didn't have to be social, that you could just work from anywhere in the world without ever seeing anyone face to face. And okay, maybe that's almost true, but the fact of the matter is you still have to figure out how to be known and how to build relationships, how to make friends. And no, it's, it's bad news. You actually have to go out there and uh, meet people. But I really, really encourage you to go to the places where your taste uh, is prevalent. So what I'm saying is go hang out. Go find the places where the people that have the taste for your thing hang out and go meet people and go make relationships because nothing will be more valuable than those people who already are established saying, hey, this person's great in any manner. That's just another eyewitness of your creative genius and that's another way to build your case. I think we see this often with publications even. Uh, and this is why I'm a, I, I encourage you to go submit your stuff to the key publications because those are uh, eyewitness accounts. You know, I think you see this in the music world when someone like Pitchfork picks up a indie band and they skyrocket onto the scene. But it doesn't have to be Pitchfork. It doesn't have to be the number one publication. You can literally just work it up slowly and you can, you, even small publications, local magazines, whatever it is, any eyewitness vouching that you can get on your side will build you just a little bit further in your career. So the last Point. The last thing I'm going to encourage you about building a case 
for your own creative genius, for you turning yourself in instead of getting caught, is to stand up and testify (laughs) for yourself, be your own witness. Now, here's my advice on this. And here's what, essentially, what I'm saying is direct marketing. Get out there and spread the word all on your own. Be your agent. Be the one pushing your stuff. Now, here's the key to this, seriously, because I'm not, I'm not giant on direct marketing. You know, I think especially direct marketing in terms of art can get pretty weird. Like, think about this. Imagine John Lennon walking up to you on the street. It doesn't matter if he's got revolver on his headphones, you're not gonna let him put those headphones on you. And if he does, you are always going to hear a revolver in the worst possible light. Cause you're gonna be like, oh, remember that guy trying to force on his music, his force uh, his music on me? Oh my gosh, ugh. Like you, there's something about being force fed art that really takes the joy out of it. And uh, so here's how I approach this, because I think you gotta, you gotta light the fuse somehow, and you gotta take the, um, you know, take the game in your own hands here. But here's how I suggest doing it. It's an idea uh, that I've always used, but I heard it kind of articulated really well by a guy called Shane Snow, who was a director at Contently, uh, and he talks about it like reverse engineering your goals and finding the weakest link. And the idea here is that you wanna avoid the bottleneck. You know, I would work with so many concept artists, students, and people that wanted to work in the field of entertainment and, and uh, animation, and you'd ask them, what are you, what, you know, what are you thinking? Who would you like to work with? And they're like, Pixar. And you're like, yeah, okay, Pixar, great. And it's not even that I'm saying, no, you can't work with Pixar. That's not my point. My point is, who wouldn't like to work with Pixar, no matter who you are? I don't care if you're an accountant. I don't care if you're a banker. You'd like to have Pixar as one of your clients, right? Um, And the problem with that is it creates this bottleneck situation where there's millions of people fighting for the same things, and they don't have to pick anybody that markets to them directly. And so I say, Look, light the fuse yourself, get yourself out there, testify to your own creative genius by connecting directly with possible uh, clients, but don't go to the same places that everyone else does. And so what Shane Snow says is, Shane Snow says, that's a tongue twister. Uh, (laughs) What he says is, don't go straight to the most popular thing. Take that thing and reverse engineer three or four steps backwards. You know, okay, if you want to work with Pixar, maybe there's a studio that's, you know, not number one that you could work with. I'm not going to name any names because you guys might actually work at some of those places. But let's say you've got Pixar, then you've got, uh, you know, the, the studios that are a little less renowned. And then before that, you have studios that are making commercials. So even a good example is uh, Leica. So they just made Kubo, that new movie. They have their animation house for for major motion pictures, and then they have a side of their business that's just for making commercial work, like uh, commercials. And you know that's a good example of if you could get in there, you could prove yourself, and it'd be a lot easier to step over into the animation house, the the uh, major motion picture side. Uh, and then even before that, proving yourself somewhere locally you know, a local animation house that just does local work or smaller commercials. But, but here's my point. Don't go where everybody else is going. The, the real work here is research. It's e- everybody knows Pixar, but you know, nobody knows about that animation studio called Bubblegum that's three blocks from your house. Uh, and you don't necessarily have to start there, but you got to start somewhere. You got to start gaining some traction and getting some proof under your belt and gaining some momentum and getting someone to co-sign this creative genius by giving you some jobs, by giving you some money and paying you for your thing. And so I suggest that you make, commit the act, like make the work, 
prove yourself, build a little portfolio, show what you can do, and then start direct marketing it to people where you can actually provide value. Like, you know, if you're a kids illustrator, you can provide value by doing the flyers for the toy store down the street. It doesn't have to be a published book for Candlewick Press right out the gate. You don't have to direct market straight to them. What if you're just making all the branding material and, and, and Facebook posts for the local kid uh, toys shop? Like those people actually need that value. So go where the value is actually needed and it won't be so uh, icky when you start directly marketing or it won't be so uh, such a waste of time. Um, but I do think that if things are not moving, if the momentum's not there, then you need to start taking it in your own hands, taking it by the reins and making it happen um, by being a little bit strategic. So what am I saying? What's the major point of this episode? Here's what it is. Don't hide behind subjectivity. I think that uh, art is as subjective as food. So yeah, everybody has different tastes and everybody has different favorites, but gross raw food that's undercooked, ill-prepared, whatever, we know it's bad. It's bad food. That's not subjective. And I think art is the same. Yeah, okay, everyone has their tastes. Everyone can uh, uh, get by on different types of strengths and weaknesses and skills. But at the end of the day, there are actually a lot of ways that you can prove that you're good, prove that you're legit. There's actually a science and a craft to creativity. And if you want to make a career in this, you can do the necessary work to earn a paycheck, to stack the deck in your favor and prove yourself. And, if I, and I think if you do all the things that we talked about today, you will almost certainly gain traction, even if it's just slowly. And, you know, this is why I love stand-up comedy so much is that this is creativity with this very in the moment, real, measurable uh, metric, and it's called laughs. And so it's not subjective. If there's no laughs in the room, it's not funny. And yeah, everybody has an off night and everybody bombs and things don't go right. But in order to have a career in stand up comedy, you have to consistently work it. You know, you don't want to be the comedian that's just going to auditions for 10 years, never making any headway because you never hit the viral moment where someone takes a giant chance on you. Instead, prove yourself. Go to all the open mics, get the laughs so that they start booking you to open the bigger guys and then get the laughs there and then start opening for yourself and then do a comedy special and just do the Mike Birbiglia thing where yeah, okay, it takes 10 years until you have a major motion picture and you never got to go on Center Night Live, but you dedicated yourself to the craft, you dedicated yourself to the journey and you slowly but surely got so good that they couldn't ignore you. That's a Steve Martin quote. People would ask him, how do you get into Hollywood? And he said, be so good that they can't ignore you. Be so good, it's undeniable. Be so remarkable that people can't stop remarking about how good you are. And I feel like in the world of creativity, it's so easy to sit back and heckle. It's so easy to sit back and say, oh, I could do better. But it's much harder to get on stage night after night, night after night, until you actually get good enough that people start talking about it. You know, we, we tell the stories 
of the people that go viral. We tell the stories and creativity of these overnight successes. We hear them over and over and over again. They're in the magazines, they're on TV. Those are the people that we celebrate and talk about. But, the, but more often than not, these commercial art fields are full of people that have just slowly but surely developed their craft, developed the evidence, got the key witnesses, testified to themselves, committed the crime of being creative geniuses. And so today, I'm encouraging you to remember that more often than not, that in the world of creativity, you are incompetent until proven genius. And not just once, not just twice, maybe a hundred times before you get your big break or before you can sustain yourself. But don't let it discourage you. Don't let that long road discourage you. Let it be an encouragement that says, if I stick at it, if I work, if I'm reflective, if I keep tweaking things, I will get somewhere. And that, I think, is pretty good news. Oh man, it's so good to be back. I feel so much better after recording one of these bad babies. Don't forget to back the Patreon at patreon.com slash creative pep talk. I would super appreciate it. You would directly be enabling me to take on less work and give more time to the podcast, make sure that I don't have to take uh, tons of breaks and all that good stuff. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks to our syndicate, Illustration Age. You can find this show at illustrationage.com slash creative pep talk. Thanks to the band Y and Yoni Wolf, the lead singer, for our theme music. Thanks to Nate Utesh and his band Metavari for all the other tunes. Uh, and also, not don't forget J-Row Design uh, for some other tunage. We've got a lot of good music going on. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening, spreading the word, and supporting the Creative Pep Talk podcast. It means so much to me. Uh, I love hearing all your stories. I love being involved in your creative hero's journey. Uh, thank you so much, and I will speak to you all very soon. I've got some awesome interviews in the tank. I'll be back next week with that. Now, until then, you can listen to this bonus content at the end. Here's a little interview I did with Joey Ellis, Luke Flowers, and Seth Worley. Uh, a few weeks ago, we were recording a TV show pitch, a kid's TV show pitch. They were puppets, tacos, all kinds of crazy stuff. And I just wanted to interview Joey to talk about why he went to such lengths to prove himself and prove this idea. Uh, you know, it's not just your usual uh, pitch deck for a TV show, you know, going to meetings and all that. We He pulled out all the stops, really invested time, energy, and money into this thing to prove the creative genius behind this show. And this is an interview with him, ties in perfectly with this episode. Go check it out right now you don't have to go anywhere you just have to stay here and listen actually um <laughs> uh, and uh stay pepped up it's now pushed all right joey yes sir let's talk uh we're here with joey and Joey Ellis, Luke Flowers, Seth Worley, Swirly, Swirly uh, Worley, Swirly Worley, and we just spent the past couple days working on the Leaky Timbers TV show pitch with puppets, and uh, yeah, I just thought we could talk a little bit about it, talk about why you did it. So the first thing, why don't you just tell us uh, what this entailed first, like, like what. What did it take to make what we did this week happen? Oh, my gosh. Um, a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, a lot of money. You invested a lot of, uh, like, tell us how this thing is legit. Like, what are all the moving pieces to make what happened? So the whole, the whole Leaky Timbers thing came from a uh, graphic novel that I did a, uh, a few years ago. And the original concept was... 
as a as a Sesame Street fan, I always wondered what what were the lives of the monsters that couldn't afford to live on Sesame Street? Like I, like <laughs> if you think about Sesame Street, that world is obviously much bigger than just that one city block. So if the camera panned out, like what did that look like? And so I just started thinking about how funny it would be if you told the story of the the monsters that couldn't afford to live on Sesame Street. So that was where the idea for Leaky Timbers came from, and I put together a graphic novel. And if anyone that's you know familiar with Kickstarter knows that you have to have a, a video to do your uh, your your pitch. Yeah. Well, I didn't want my big pasty face in a video begging for money. You are a beautiful man. Thank you. But I um, and secretly I wanted to do puppets, and so I thought, well, let's make one puppet. And let's make it be uh, the main character, Wolfie Monster. And let's let him do the pitch. Let's let him make a video where he tries to sell the book. And so having it be him making it, uh, it, it gave me a lot of freedom to mess up. Because if the, the video wasn't very well produced, I could just say, well, it's this little kid it's monster. Yeah. It's made by a yeah. little kid monster who doesn't know what he's doing. So anyway... So we did a few videos. That's a great, just as a side note, that's such a creative way to deal with a My lack failures. of budget or a lot. Yeah, no. Just, <laughs> it's so, I mean, that's such an interesting, that is what uh, I think great creative people do. Is And you always get, I feel like I'm always talking to people of telling me all the reasons they can't pursue something. And I always think, well, if you were truly creative, all of those just would be leap pads for, you know, that, those, that would be the springboard. Um, that you would jump off of. Uh, yeah, I love that. Anyway. So, I can't remember exactly how many videos we made for Kickstarter. We obviously made the very first pitch. And then, uh, with Kickstarter, you can do like these posts where you update your backers on the progress and stuff like that. And I thought, well, what if we just continue to do videos? And it was a lot of work, and it was a lot... You know, it's much more work to do a video of a puppet telling you how the project's going versus just writing a sentence saying the project's going fine. Yeah. And so as we were doing these videos, I would write little silly things like, oh, let's have uh, Wolfie do the weather, let's have him do the news, let's have him do an interview. And so it kind of became these little things to explore the world outside the graphic novel. And they, the, the videos themselves began to take a little life of their own. And, and what I ended up finding was that I had fans of the graphic novel and then I started having fans of the puppet show. And I was like, this is this kind of scratches that Jim Henson itch that a lot yeah. of us have. And I was like, this is this is really fun. I love puppetry because as someone who likes to design characters, puppetry is so much quicker to bring these characters to life versus like animation. True. Um, with puppets, I get to see these characters in real time and and I get to see how people react to them, and I get to see how these characters might react to uh, to these other people, and just a really rewarding experience. And so, over the last three years, I've just slowly continued to uh, try to pursue agents, try to pursue book deals with the books, um, and continue to do a lot of conventions and stuff like that, and, and invest um, every now and then in more puppets. Um, and so once I got, there's three brothers in, in the main story. So once I finally got the three puppets made, um, it just became time to, okay, we've put so much work and so much effort into this. It's time to, uh, put these guys on a stage. Let's really surround them and present them in a way that someone whose mind does not creatively soar, they could look at what I've made and say, I get it. I want you to make a TV show. And so that's kind of what happened this past week. Uh, just, you know, a lot of writing, a lot of prop making, a lot of set building, a lot of uh, just things I'm certainly not comfortable with. Yeah. But I do them because I believe in what I'm doing and we're just going to figure it out. Um, and then I surrounded myself with people that actually know what they're doing. Um, and essentially, we, I think one of the things that you did that is really brilliant and I think is what has made this so great is that you are you know 
from dream to done in in terms of getting a getting a deal with a publisher or with a, a you know TV um, whatever TV station or whatever you you want to make that leap as tiny as possible. So you've created um, you've did everything in your power that you could possibly do, even some a lot outside of your power where you had to bring other people in. Um, to bridge that gap and make it the tiniest leap from a possible TV show idea to a TV show. Right. I mean, I think I think for me, especially being the much smaller market like Charlotte, um, you know, I don't have access to a lot of movers and shakers here. A lot of people in North Carolina just don't, I guess, dream the way that I do. At least people that have a lot of money. Yeah. Um, especially here in, in this town, it's it's very big on banking and, and healthcare, and that's pretty much it. It's not about making movies and stuff like that. And so, for me, I felt like I needed to absolutely buy as many fireworks as I can, and let's get all the fireworks together and and light it and like just absolutely make the biggest show we possibly can. Biggest ruckus you can possibly Right, and make. cross our fingers and, and please, please, please hope that somebody with power sees this, gets it, and gives me a chance. And I think that the worst thing that could happen is not, nobody bites, nothing happens, and I've got a really cool video. I got to, to do it with really cool friends, and we got to do something that put us outside of our creative yeah. uh, creative zone and we all learned a lot of things but I think we'll incorporate it into other things Yeah. but I think the other thing is that I get real sick and tired of people that just announce things either through Twitter or online hey I'm, I'm going to do a children's book or, and then they never, never follow yeah. through yeah. and I firmly believe that if you go out and you say you know what I'm going to do this thing you better do it yeah. and that's the other thing. If no one else, if nothing else happens with this show, at least it, for me, I have I have proven that when I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it, no matter how foolish it might be. Yep. And I think that lends a lot of uh, credence. Hopefully, is that the right word? I, I don't that's know. The right word. Let's just say that's the right word. Sounds good. So in the future, if if I'm talking with someone and I say some crazy thing that I really want to do, they're going to believe me, yeah. and it's going to happen. So I think a, a really interesting part of that is, I, I, you know, I talk a lot about betting on yourself, you know, picking yourself and 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 putting all the investment and time and energy into something that you believe in before anybody else believes in it, and. I think the question I get a lot with that is, then how do you know what thing to push into? And I think you just described that really well. You you want to push into the thing where the worst case scenario is still great for you. Right. And so, you know, if you're doing kids books, worst case scenario, you're you're you believe so hardcore in this book that you're going to self-publish it. You're going to and the worst case scenario is you have one copy in your hands. If, if, if making that book was a brilliant process because you're so passionate about making kids' books and then you're so passionate about holding your own printed book, that's a success. And I think if you can start on that ladder, if that rung is enough, that's the right thing to push into. And I think that's what you're describing with this project where if the worst thing that happens is that you got together your friends and people that inspire you and people that you're excited about uh, and we spent a few days messing around with puppets, and then at the end of it, we have a cool video. Right. Like, if that's the worst case scenario, that's like amazing. That's like an amazing worst I, case scenario. Yeah, I mean, I think as, as artists, it's always very validating to uh, see something tangible that we made at the end of the day. Yes. I think that that's really True. cool. And that does give you a little sense of pride and, and power to walk away from other situations where you're like, you know what? I don't need you. Look at what I made without, you know, you executive money who, because yep. I've been rejected constantly and I continually get rejected and I never really get down about it because, you know, it's like, look at what I've accomplished under my own steam so far. And I got so many people that believe in what we're doing or are so supportive of me and, mm -hmm. and just 
it just gives you that sense of confidence. I think a lot of that comes from if I say I'm going to do it, I do it. Yeah, and there's people, an integrity factor there. And people get excited about that. And, and then I'm able to bring in people that are more talented than, than me to help elevate what I'm doing. And it's it's very cyclical. And and I'll keep making videos and books. And, and I hope that one day I will not have to use my own money. But yep. if I have to continue to use my own money, then that's what's going to happen. Hopefully one day it'll make money. Well, you know, that's, that's, enough. that's for another conversation. Yeah. <laughs> No, but I, I think that that's so key. This is why, uh, you know, in Freakonomics, they talk about how in sports, the real competitive edge is being crazy passionate about what you do because for you, then the work is play. The practice is play. And I think that's why it's so important to figure out which, being really, really clear, which path is the one where this is just play for me. This is just what I do and I'm excited I'm going to do it whether someone co-signs it or not um, I do think that that's like a, a game changer um, Luke let's just talk to you real quick I want to make sure we get everybody on here we uh, got, we're, let, 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 I was going to say let your readers know let your readers let know let the readers know <laughs> we're about five minutes from your airplane yeah yeah we're, I can pull off we're getting there right yeah we're, we don't have much more time but Luke how was it for you what What's your big takeaway from this uh, week? Uh, I think just for like with Joey, it's this sort of lifelong passion for it. But I think the uniqueness of this project was be able to then partner with like a fellow dreamer and, and to be able to support like a friend that you believe in there. Uh, kind of like you said at the beginning, you get there. A lot of people were fans of the, the book. Some were fans of the puppet shows. I think for me, being able to partner with him on that in a way that's like hey you, you know one of my, my favorite things is just cheering on other creatives and, and actually being a genuine fan of what they're doing and I think in this world there's a lot of that that's not happening it's usually yeah, well how can I get further because I cheer for you so I think to be able to you know authentically partner with somebody else's dream is something I don't know I feel like I'm pretty passionate about so it was cool to then be able to have this also connect with something I've always wanted to do in my life too so yes I felt honored to be part of it and also just fun to cheer on your friend and and hope you know genuinely hope that they do well with what they're putting together not but what can I get out of it in the end yeah absolutely and actually I think the further you can get away from a sports metaphor in terms of your career like somebody has to win someone has to lose and the more it's just like getting together and doing stuff that you're excited about and lifting each other up like it's actually good for everybody and and yeah i think that's totally true all right seth tick time's ticking you're the director the real genius behind it all people want to hear from the least (laughs) i don't believe it I, i actually was like completely blown away by just your ability to see the scenes and know even just the details of how that works out from shot to shot I was like man I would never I would never if I tried to direct something it would just be a complete disaster so I was blown away from that but um, what's your big takeaway or you know what what made you sign on to the project Uh, well my my big the the, the, I kind of answer answers both questions I um, this has been a profoundly rewarding experience for me. Um, and the biggest thing I've taken away from this is just the validation of kind of an, an inc- like what I felt a, few, a year ago or so when I contacted Joey out of the blue, Joey was on, is on is like the very top of a list of people that, that whose work I admire greatly from a distance. Um, yeah. And just want to find excuses to work with, and specifically like artists that are in other mediums than what I do. Who That's I'm, so who I, good. Who I managed to find a, like a great deal of inspiration from, just as much if not more than artists that are actually in my medium. And this has been so validating to like the idea of just just reach out to people that you are a fan of, like um, have the audacity to believe that you could possibly be their peer at some point, and yes. don't kind of lo- don't sink yourself in your mind to a level that you are below or that you are like that's not just kind of the audacity to believe that you can that you find a way to work with these people and like this is to me like been the most validating um experience and the most rewarding of getting come out this has been one of the most fun projects i've worked on um and not just because of the material the material is so good but also just the collaborative process with these guys has been so with has been so um 
it's 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 just been healthy and right to mm. where like uh, the material is better because the four of us are all in the room working on it together. Um, it's been really inspiring. And you said know. something really interesting the other day that I, that really stuck with me. So like early on in my career. Um, the people that I would cling to at school and collaborate with and create projects with were the people that that I had the exact same influences as and we did the same thing and then we'd create something together and then at the end of the day you're like well this doesn't really help anybody um, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and you and you said something interesting about um, making friends outside of uh, yeah I mean because you're going to be ultimately like someone gave me advice a long time ago like if you're going to be a director make you can obviously make friends with the directors but focus on trying to make friends with writers and with uh, with uh, cinematographers and actors and uh, and I would extend that to like and illustrators they probably illustrators <laughs> and I mean because the truth is like for me I also like I have a lot of like I, I have I have a lot of kind of side thing like uh, places where I find inspiration and a great deal of that is from like the community of illustrators that's that uh, online that you guys are a part of like mm. and like in this project in one fell swoop I got to work with and meet like a handful of people that like I before now did not feel like I had an excuse to work with them mm-hmm. um, because I think one inspiration can be found yeah um, and should be found in all other kinds of media. It's always more stuff. pure if you can take inspiration from a different exactly. field exactly. and translate it. And, and, yeah. then, and then it benefits the work, everybody's work, and it benefits yes. the audience better when you're when like the material is being formed from the like very different, a very diverse set of brains. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think uh, the other thing that it does that's really interesting is in terms of niche and differentiating yourself in the market. If you're friends with and collaborating with industries that other directors aren't, that's going to do it. You're going to stand out for a different reason. Absolutely. Yeah. So, all right. That's awesome. Fantastic. Thanks, guys, for uh, recording a little bit for my podcast. Thank you for coming out. I love you. Will you just uh, say Andy J. Miller podcast? Andy. Oh, you're talking about uh, Wolfie's voice? Yeah, Wolfie. Will you just say that? Andy J. Miller podcast. <laughs> all right. Thank you. There it is.